and he was like well sam smith and i was like oh here we, we go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Impolite Company. In part one of this episode, we'll be talking about the gender binary and how it affects us all, and our responsibility as queer people to be allies. Before we start, we wanted to let you know about a few changes we've made to the podcast. Episodes are now about 30 minutes long, and this means that episodes such as this one will be spread across more than two parts. Hopefully this makes it perfect for your community and easy to jump in and out of the conversation. Anyway, let's get into the episode, but do let us know if this new format works for you. Okay, so today we're going to get straight into it and we're going to talk about gender, which is a pretty enormous topic to it try is. and <laughs> cover. And and if you've listened to the first episodes of this, you'll know that Kieran and I have a tendency to talk a lot. So, <laughs> and this is a big topic, but we really wanted to talk about it because partly because I think we both think of ourselves as trans allies. For sure. And there's an absolutely disgraceful uh, climate at the moment around trans people's rights. And also I think we wanted to talk about gender from the perspective of people who I suppose exist outside of heteronormativity yeah. and um, what that means to us and how does gender impact us personally as well as how do we want to think about it in in solidarity with yeah. with trans people and then also kind of talk about well what about gender in the workplace and how are companies currently thinking about this issue at the moment and what are they doing or not doing yeah. <laughs> in in trying to build gender inclusive workplaces because it occurs to me as somebody who's working with companies at the moment on their dei that gender feels like the kind of last taboo almost that companies are are willing to talk about LGBTQ plus inclusion yeah. in theory, but what they really are talking about is LGB inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about all of the above. Um, I think we should start by by chatting a little bit about the the gender binary as a kind of social structure and like so that we can get into some clear definitions of what we're really talking about here i mean kieran what's your do you have a view on the gender binary do you have an understanding you think of what it is um yeah i think i i probably have a view of it which is like you said in kind of i look at these things in a very i think in a in a, a way that i think a lot of people may see it that way but i think some of it really boils down and is quite simple for me <laughs> in terms of one you know the difference between um sex and gender is a really important thing to understand mm -hmm. um, and understand the differences there about um like <laughs> the biology element of it and and the psychological element of it mm -hmm. um and understand how that works i think it's really important i think also what i've learned over time is to really the only way you can understand is to listen mm -hmm. um and not be judgmental and be able to to, to separate maybe the things that you you um society has pre-exposed you to understand and not understand and things that you just need to learn like we always need to be learning we're not and, and also understanding how things get oversimplified and i think it's quite easy when you do sit in 
uh, multiple intersections to be able to comprehend that kind of stuff that might be very complex. So in terms of my, my view, my view is an inclusive view where I listen and where for me, it's never about someone trying to take something from someone else to in, in with the idea that they're losing something by that person being identified as who they are. Mm, And I think for me, that's a really important thing. I don't, I don't push any, I don't push any of my thoughts. I may have an opinion on things, but I think it's really important to um, always be open to those opinions being changed. I think I've definitely, um, I've never been, I've never by any stretch of the imagination been anti-trans um, at all. But I think I have been in when I was younger, ignorant just because I didn't have exposure and didn't have a good understanding of what things meant and also things being trivialized. Um, and, and that's for me, that's been a journey for me to really speak to people that are trans or they don't fit into into the gender norms that people are used to um, and to understand it for me specifically around people that identify as non-binary that's been probably I think everything else I've been able to comprehend um, and now I can comprehend what non-binary means but I think at first because it it wasn't something that was I was ever exposed to as a um, classification or mm-hmm. um um or a con or it being part of the constructs that we're used to it was something that i had to do a lot of like internal discussion and speaking to people that were non-binary to understand and i th- i do think shows such as like rupaul's drag race has have helped with the, some of those conversations where i definitely didn't understand what non-binary meant and now i do <laughs> yeah yeah so but it speaks to that thing of that i think is part of almost what gets termed as the trans debate which I kind of hate the 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 terminology of that in the first place because it indicates or it implies that that there there is any kind of debate about trans existence or about trans people like like their their existence should be debated or we have a right to debate it but but what often gets talked about in that context is you know I'm I'm kind of simplifying but you know almost this kind of idea that these are newfangled identities that we never had before and like why have i got to learn all this uh, terminology and like isn't this ridiculous and my view on this or my i suppose learning journey like you've been on with this is is my kind of university background was was history and so i'm very interested in history and i think if we go the more i've learned and and kind of delved into the history of of some of this stuff yeah the more you realize that this isn't new no and i think to your point we understand that 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 transness isn't new but i think this kind of gender non-conforming um identity some people see as new and the more you and you don't really have to scratch the surface very much right like you don't have to look very far you can google this yeah. stuff and yeah. and and find out pretty easily that societies dozens of societies all around the world for h- hundreds if not thousands of years you know in india thousands of years yeah. have had i mean multiple gender identities yeah. recognized and actually it was colonialism which is like <laughs> unfortunately the answer to a lot of things <laughs> it was colonialism yeah. that actually imposed this concept of the gender binary on those societies and mm. we're all living with the legacy yes of some of those teachings 
including in 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 the UK, but but in in Commonwealth countries and yeah, basically any country that was colonized by a Western European country over the past yeah. three hundred years. Yeah, I think that's a sad thing, right? It's and and the thing that's so I find very frustrating, especially when you look at like yeah the the um exactly what you've talked about where 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 it originally comes from that some of these these thought processes come from countries that have that, that the uk or that britain have touched part of the imperial um takeover of the world mm. <laughs> um some of the views didn't develop in some of those countries and then it feels really sad that those countries are then looked at as backwards when the initial that initial narrative and the trajectory was planted by yes, but it's a, it's a, it's a colonial legacy, it's a colonial legacy. That, that you've got homophobia and transphobia in a lot of in a lot of societies. Yeah. You know, yeah. in Native American societies, there are there are two spirit yeah. uh, traditions of two spirit individuals who are, and in a lot of these ancient societies, without getting into kind of too much of a history lesson, yeah. not only were were genders other than you know male female recognized but 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 revered i think that's a really important thing to say right like in in a lot of african countries in india in um in native american tribes you know people who were gender non-conforming in any way which includes people we would define as trans who they might not have been defined in those terms per se yeah. but people we would define as trans but also includes queer people right yeah. like um like masculine presenting women yeah. um feminine presenting men were seen and were able to cohabit with people of the same sex and were seen as holy in some senses yeah. sacred in some senses and so it is a real tragedy that we're in now in a place where we've got these colonial legacies in some of those societies yeah. um when really to your point like in terms of how we would think about progressive thinking, they yeah. were way, way, way ahead. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. I remember watching something about, um, I can't remember uh, what part of the Native American culture, but they were talking about the two-spirited people. Um, and they were saying that, that those individuals were key to society and they were seen as the link between male and female. And they played a very specific role in help balance femininity, femininity and masculine masculinity it's like when you hear about things being spoken in that way it just it's such a different level of uh intelligence i think yeah yeah exactly and i think what that speaks also beautifully to in a way is is the this sense of interconnectedness of trans identity and and queer identities yeah. in general because in one form or another we're all existing outside of the heteronormative gender binary and i suppose the way i'm thinking about that the way i'm defining that as is there's man and there's woman there's male and there's female there's masculine and there's feminine and those there are roles associated with with those identities and there are attributes associated with those you know and that they could they cannot meet right they cannot overlap you know the feminine traits cannot be experienced by men and and vice versa and anyone who exists outside of those norms is othered and is yeah. not welcome and all of that kind of stuff but i would kind of argue that we all in some form exist <laughs> outside of those of really binary categories but kind of i'm interested in what you think about our 
as people who both identify as queer, yeah. what you think our responsibility is as from within the community to be trans allies? Our responsibility is to know better and is not to feed into those kind of dangerous narratives and rhetoric and and be allies, right? I think sometimes people forget that. I think sometimes when you, um, especially if you haven't, if you've not been close to the struggles of a group that you're now a part of, or you have any understanding of that, I think a lot of people will find it hard to draw the similarities. Um, so for example, my, my mum's mixed race, um, my dad is black. Um, I've grown up knowing what happened in Windrush. I've grown up understanding the lives that my, my, my nan as a white woman being married to uh, a black man, what they had to put up with and what ignorance looks like and how it rears its ugly head and how it can really challenge and destroy parts of a family mm -hmm. um, or parts of, of, of society. So I think using our own lived experiences and digging deep and under and trying to draw those lines between where there's similarities is really important for us to do as people that may not be completely aligned, but have similar lived experiences. And we, we don't, I don't want that to happen again, right? I don't want those things to play out again and continue to play out in other marginalized parts of society and it shouldn't. Um, so I think, you know, as, as queer people, the things that we can be doing is being, we are in a really great position to be able to, to, identify when these things are playing out and it's not about being you know the savior but being supportive and being compassionate and also in terms of being an ally speaking up when we when we need to speak up with the privilege that we may have whether that's privilege of knowledge or privilege in an environment that you're in so if you're in a so if you're in a more senior position like i i am in my roles helping educate like how do i speak to my colleagues and peers that don't quite understand what's going on, how do I educate them in those areas? How do I pull up, pull them up on some of that behavior in a way that's not confrontational or makes them feel like they're not good at their job or that they, you know, they're not woke enough or that kind of like narrative that goes along, goes with not just learning <laughs> your mistakes. Um, so that, that's kind of where I see, it. I think it's about just, I'm more so than ever just really aware of things, any, of any person that's a marginalized part of any group whether it's in work or outside i'm just much more aware of it and i think about the damage it can do if unchecked if certain behaviors are unchecked but do you also think that i think there's something to be said for the fact that and i think it's much better now yeah maybe i can't speak to this too much from a personal perspective because because i've only been <laughs> in my lifetime yeah. but 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 you know if you again if you look into some of the history of the gay rights movement for instance there's quite a lot of transphobia within the movement True. right and like racism too racism too <laughs> right i think there's something about the fact that it's so yeah. great that 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 the lgbtq plus community is such a broad church of so many diverse experiences yeah. and then within that you then get this kind of hierarchy of privilege as well yeah and also you know if you think about the, well like the 60s 70s to i don't know the 90s 2000s mm. it, it seems like basically the main aims of the kind of mainstream gay rights movement were like assimilation yeah into 
mainstream culture like we want we want marriage equality and we, we like we want the right to have 2.5 kids and a picket fence yeah as well and so this desire to kind of i don't know i'm kind of interested in this desire even within the queer community um historically to to like assimilate and therefore naturally you have trans people almost being perceived sometimes as like you're letting you're letting the side down because we're trying to assimilate here yeah you know we're trying and 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 that prioritizes yeah unless you're really yeah unless you're passing yeah. and and that also lends itself to racism yeah. you know and to to kind of uh almost like a whitewashing of of the yeah. diversity of yeah the community as a whole yeah. and like the, and and toxic masculinity in the like the the male gay community and we've seen that play out as well and these are the things like you see these things play out so this kind of exclusionary and counterproductive to our own cause as a group right it, we, we then start to, like you said, assimilate some of the same bigotry that was like, that was that, that everyone's fighting against. And that's what's really like, why does that happen? And also we know who always ends up at the top of that, <laughs> at the top of that, especially when it comes to like white men, we we saw that, right. And I think I was quite lucky because my mum used to work with young, predominantly gay LGBT men who sold themselves when they were, when she, um between the age of 16 and 25 um and one of the things yeah, that as I, in prostitutes as in prostitutes yeah, yeah. so so they, they were sex workers and i remember very like you know i remember speaking to my mum about uh when i came out but not necessarily just when i came out i remember her always talking about and she's always had lots of gay gay friends and there's always been gay people around me growing up and i i specifically gay, gay men actually there was quite a few gay men around when i was younger um friends of my mum um and I always remember her saying to me like that because she was so in the scene with her work she worked for a charity which is which got acquired by the Terence Higgins Trust but they were called Streetwise or SW5 one of the things that she told me when I came out was that the gay world is so racist oh that's was that the one the first thing she said that was the only thing one of the only things she worried about because she said it's so from what she's seen wow especially working kind of kind of on the front line with a lot of a lot of yeah, she can speak to that from experience she that she's not experience. just and gonna... she would do outreach and she would like some you know that there's some places that that until the like late 90s it wouldn't like would, would be funny on the door with black gay men <laughs> or, or, or black lesbians or you know and it's like for me that for her that was the biggest worry that she had it wasn't that i was gay <laughs> interesting it was that the things i'm gonna she was like things you're going to have to come up against obviously she was basing that on you know the previous 15 years that she'd been deeply in that which would have been like early 90s to um early 2000s but it's just in it's just in it's really interesting and when you look at things as soon as 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 recent as i think maybe about five or six years ago the fact that on apps such as grinder people could, could could specify whether you know they don't or and it was okay to say like no chinese no blacks no that's not acceptable like, that's just my preference what are you talking about yeah that's my preference it's like, i just no, my preference is i don't like brown skin yeah. so okay let's apply it to everything <laughs> then right let's see if, how you would feel if it was like i don't like gays i'm sure you would have an opinion on that right but those same people want to do that to other people it's like what is going on you can't that's not acceptable and it goes it's counterproductive collectively to getting society where you want it to be unless you don't unless you've got your privilege now and you're happy with it you know 
Well, I think that might be part of it. I think if we if you take an assimilationist approach, yeah. then that comes with yeah. potential racism, potential transphobia, potential rejection of anything that exists outside of it's almost like a heteronormative approach to being yeah. gay. And and I think that queer liberation looks different than that. Yeah. I think it looks like the full diversity of the queer community being embraced yeah. and accepted exactly. and having rights. Yeah. Right. But like, I think sometimes in the push for rights, there's been a desire to kind of say, well, we're, we're as close to Prioritize. the ideal yeah. of white heterosexual society as mm. possible. And therefore we want, we want the privileges of being close to that, yeah. close to the top of the pyramid and who's, yeah. who's close to the top of the pyramid. Well, predominantly white gay men, you know, that you're really at the top of the, the if, tree if there. You're, if, you're, if you're straight passing. Yeah. Straight passing like, white gay men, yeah. you know, Tim Cook. Yeah. Yeah. Really good example. <laughs> it's really good example the, like, the ideal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To the point where it's like hardly even spoken about because people equate so much value to all the other things because they just don't even see it. You know, it's not in their face. It's it's palatable. And let's talk about this thing of like in your face because yeah. I had a conversation recently and I won't get into all of the detail of the conversation because it was a kind of wide ranging, but both basically it was a transphobic. He was saying a lot of transphobic stuff on this call yeah. to me without really realizing he was, you know, not without consciousness yeah. around it. And one of the things he said kind of fairly abruptly was like, did you watch the Brits recently? And I was, and I was like, no. Yeah. And he was like, well, Sam Smith. And I was like, Oh, here we, we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> I've had similar conversations. What you going to say? <laughs> and, and it, you know, there's something, well, we all know it's not something we know. We know what it is, but Sam Smith is like almost the forefront of this for people. Like yeah. they cannot handle yeah. their presentation yeah. and that terminology, that, that kind of phrasing of, it's just in your face, isn't it? He said to the, the guy on the call said to me, well, I'm straight, but I don't, oh, <laughs> I don't, don't rub it in everyone's don't, face. Don't. And I was like, where, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> you do, <Yeah>. you do. <laughs> and so the, the interesting thing, you know, what, what I think is often behind that kind of comment is this lack of understanding yeah. from straight people in particular that their straightness is in everyone's face <laughs> their straightness is but but there's a kind of what happens i think often with people who are from you know dominant groups in uk society yeah. let's say is they see their their identity as invisible almost it's yeah. like the norm against which we judge things yeah so so me wearing a suit and talking about my wife all day long yeah. is seen as almost kind of an invisible thing yeah but if a person was wearing a different type of clothing every day which didn't wasn't obviously coded as masculine yeah. or feminine and we're talking about their same sex partner yeah. that gets viewed as rubbing it in yeah. your face 
So there's this kind of like no invisible norm against which we judge the Sam Smiths of the world. But also, who do you think you are to think <laughs> that someone's doing that for you? This to piss what, you off. This is what annoys me. <laughs> it's like, who do you think you are to think that this person is going out of their way to do something that it doesn't come naturally or make them feel like who they are for you? Who who made you think that? Or what made you think that? I think it's a lack of understanding that what, in this example, Sam Smith is doing mm. is dressing and expressing themselves and creatively mm. being themselves. It's a view that they're doing that. They're not just doing that. That's not natural. They're yeah. doing that to show off in some way. So if they were just being normal they'd be wearing a suit like me and so everything outside of that is showing off yeah there's not an understanding that that expression might yeah. be how i feel my deepest sense of comfort yeah it's not about being exhibitionist for, to piss you off or to to yeah. push people's buttons necessarily you know yeah. i i understand that with with artists in general sometimes they are doing things yeah. to to make a point or whatever, but I, I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding from straight people, but also this sometimes happens within the queer community from people who are more traditionally, um, you know, masculine or feminine presenting that, oh, for God's sake. Self-hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening and join us next week for the next part of this episode.